Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. I'm Neil Strauss, and from Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For, coming March 26th. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts. I'm April. And I'm Meredith. And we host the podcast Rattled and Shook, a weekly show where we listen to and discuss scary stories. Scary stories kind of like these. Door opened. Sliver of light. Footsteps to the foot of my bed. Same as always. They had disguised their voice and were saying things like, I can see you through your window. If you like to listen to podcasts with a lot of scary stories, this is for you. Rattled and Shook is available now. Hello, team. First, I wanted to say thank you so much for an awesome podcast. My question is more of a theory. Now, if Bo is really the mastermind of all of this and he has legal counsel in the form of his uncle or his district attorney relative, could he be sort of sowing the seed with all of these, I guess, messages on Twitter and through his girlfriend of a story that isn't true? Just a a thought that possibly someone has told him to break the gag order in a way to um, just sow false information that might lead to a mistrial or confuse things. Thank you so much. I really can't wait to hear the last episode. Well, that's certainly a very good question. And it's unfortunately one that only Bo would have the answer to because there's really no way of knowing just exactly what's going on inside his head. It's important to remember he does have a lawyer, though, and it's not the district attorney or anybody else. It's a private lawyer. And I can hardly fathom an attorney would 
in the first place, advise a client to violate a gag order. Secondly, I can't fathom that an attorney, and there's no reason to think that his attorney is anything but completely ethical. I can't imagine that an attorney would advise a client to be not only violating the gag order, but to be saying things that are either true or not true when it could potentially violate any agreement that they may have and further complicate that lawyer's efforts to properly defend the client because that's what the lawyer wants to do is they want to operate in the client's best interest and do what's best by the client. It would appear from what we've seen that Bo is doing everything that he can, whether on purpose or not, to frustrate his lawyer's ability to properly represent him. And as I've said before, if he were my client, I would have fired his ass a long time ago for conduct like this. Hey, Payne, this is Michael Smith from Portland, Oregon. I had a question about how tall Bo is. So I know we had some discussion on previous podcasts about how the seat in her car, Tara's car, was pushed back quite a bit. But Ryan is a relatively short guy. Um, but I don't recall ever uh, you guys ever discussing how tall Bo is. And I uh, just wonder if that might be another kind of clue in the case. Love the podcast. You're killing it. Enjoy listening all the way out here on the West Coast. Thanks. Yeah, so Bo Dukes and Ryan Duke are completely different in height. Bo Dukes is about six foot two, and Ryan Duke is about five eight, five nine. So when you're talking about moving the seat back in Tara's car, it would make more sense for a tall person to move the seat back, not a short person. With the new information about Bo's alleged aggressive sexual past, I'm wondering if there was something sexual between Bo and Tara, or Bo, Tara, and Ryan, for that matter. Maybe Bo or Ryan was too aggressive and something went wrong. Maybe they both feel responsibility and work together to burn the body. I'm not quite sure, but it it seems like there could be some correlation. I think Bo's involvement in this crime is a lot more than we actually know. A lot of people suspect he's more involved. At this particular time, we actually don't know, but I personally think that he's a lot more involved. If there was any kind of sexual activity at all by Bo, it would be against her will because uh, he has this uh, aggressive behavior. It sure would not be consensual. This is Adeline from Stockbridge. I just want to say that I love the show and I love that you're helping bring a lot of things to light that probably wouldn't have been without you. I just finished the last episode that was put out and I was wondering if the man that called in at the very end who was married to Ashley, if he reported any of this to the police and, you know, if he did or didn't, will the police look into any of these things potentially like now they're trying to build a case? And if they do, could anything be done about these things? Because they're pretty incriminating statements if they're right. And I was just wondering, you know, how that would all pan out possibly in terms of proving those guilt or just his overall lack of empathy for every single person. Thanks so much. I look forward to hearing from you guys. Well, we don't know what law enforcement is or is not investigating. We don't know what exactly they have or have not investigated completely. We've got some pretty good ideas about a lot of things, but due to the gag order, number one, and prior to the gag order, due to the historic silence by the GBI as to this case in general, uh, we're sort of left guessing at what they're looking into. But If the GBI is now aware, and I would have to assume that they are because we have reason to believe that they follow the podcast, this is certainly something that 
if it were my investigation, I would want to follow up with. I would want to look into this because it may mean nothing more than somebody's making something up about Bo that's not true. And it may be that somebody's telling the truth about something that Bo may or may not have been involved in with his ex-wife. If it turns out to be true, then the question is, is it relevant to the investigation? And if it's relevant to the investigation, then they would need to look more closely at Bo's past and in particular his past conduct because it may have some bearing on his credibility. And if his credibility is in question, then they may need to go back and take a closer look at what he's told them about his involvement in this case so far and whether or not he's been truthful. And if you take that a step further, and if there's a trial in the case, we want to know if what Bo says at trial is true. And that's something that's important for both the prosecution and the defense to really get their head wrapped around is Bo's credibility on the witness stand. If this were my case and I were in charge of the investigation at this point, I would take a very, very close and hard look at Bo's entire social media history, including any dating sites he may have been involved in, any online relationships he may have had. I would look into every personal relationship with anybody that I could find to learn whether or not Bo has ever said anything to anybody about this case that law enforcement was not previously aware of. If it were to turn out that it was simply some type of sexual fetish that has nothing to do with the facts of this case, so be it. But I would want to know whether or not that's the case. Hey, guys, this is Fred from Texas. Just want to tell you all that they all doing a real good job on the podcast. But my only thing is, every time you all say pecan, I don't think of a tree. Out here in Texas, we have pecan trees, but y'all say pecan, so that's my only issue. But anyway, y'all doing a good job. Appreciate it. (laughs) We can say pecan. I honestly don't know how to say that word at all. I've heard pecan, pecan, and pecan, and pecan. I don't know how to say it. I think that I've said it more than one way throughout this whole podcast, and everyone I talk to says it differently, too. I don't know, though. I kind of prefer pecan. This is Chanel from Dallas, Texas. I just finished listening to the last episode about Bo Dukes and have a question. Since he's, we know that he's dishonest and he openly admits to burning Tara's body, is there anything to tie him or anyone else to the fire on Snapdragon Road? Since that's the only place that the cadaver dogs hit on within 200 miles. Thank you so much. I really enjoy the show, and I appreciate all the hard work that all of y'all have put into it. The answer is no. There was a hit made by the, a cadaver doll at Snapdragon that potentially evidence was turned over to uh, the GBI. However, they know the results, if, if any, but it's never been released to even the dog handler or anyone else. So there's nothing at Snapdragon that links Bo Dukes or Ryan to that location. Hey guys, this is Cam calling from Kennesaw, Georgia. Just finished the last episode and just wanted to know the call that was played at the end of the episode. Is that something that could be used in court by the DA against Bo Dukes or could they 
call the caller in as a witness, or is that all just considered hearsay? Anyway, that's just what I wanted to know. Thanks a lot. Well, the first question that a lawyer must ask themselves when deciding whether or not any information is admissible in court is whether or not it's relevant to any particular issue in the case. If it is relevant, then the question becomes, how can we authenticate that information? And that would mean bringing in real people to tell what their personal knowledge is, because they can't just come into court and repeat what a third party has said necessarily, because in most instances, that would be hearsay. In other words, it's an out-of-court statement made by some third party who's not subject to cross-examination. And if a defendant is not able to cross-examine the person who is making a statement because it's a hearsay statement, then that would violate the confrontation clause in the Constitution. And that's why we have the hearsay rule in the first place. There are many exceptions to the hearsay rule, but usually you've got to bring in the person who actually makes the statement. So the first question has to be, is it relevant? If it is relevant, then is it admissible? Does it violate any of the rules of evidence, such as the hearsay rule or other things? There's another issue that comes into play, too, because let's say this is the state of Georgia versus Bo Dukes, because remember, he's got his own case, and you can't bring in evidence of someone's general character to prove that they committed a crime. That's another violation of the rules of evidence. So if it's deemed to be bad character evidence, then you can't just bring someone in and say, this is a person who has bad character, therefore they must be guilty. So those are all things that have to be taken into consideration. We're a long way from this information, if it's true, that was brought out in the last call and having it brought into a courtroom. There's just a lot of things that have to be fleshed out. It would require a thorough investigation. Statements need to be taken from everybody allegedly involved in that scenario. And then the lawyers for both sides would have to decide whether it's something they could or should use in a trial against either defendant. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Tane. This is Emma calling from Wisconsin. Ever since you guys mentioned the police officer's uniform that that girl found on the orchard, I've been really curious as to how you think that fits into the whole story. I can't really wrap my head around it, and I'm not really sure where that comes in. Thanks a lot. To be honest with you, I have no idea how or if at all that uniform that was found in the woods fits into 
the disappearance of Tara Grinstead whatsoever. I just thought that it was very strange information that a police uniform from the sheriff's department was found buried in the woods somewhere. From what I've gathered, that's not how you properly dispose of a police uniform. I would say that in all likelihood, there's probably no connection to Tara Grinstead. But because of all the layers to this mystery, I don't feel it's safe yet to rule anything out. If the uniform means anything at all, I think it's that someone in the sheriff's department doesn't know how to properly dispose of a uniform. Hi, I'm Kimberly from Brevard, North Carolina. And I'm wondering if everyone else is thinking what I'm thinking after hearing that last caller on episode 23 say that Bo blindfolded and tied his ex to a tree in the pecan orchard. Maybe I've seen too many crime shows on TV, but doesn't that sound like he's trying to recreate something? It makes me worry that Tara's death may not have been as simple as waking up to a stranger and one swift blow to the temple. I also wonder if he's tied other women to trees and they've just been too afraid to come forward because of intimidation. I've been riveted by this podcast, and it's remarkable what you guys have achieved. Congratulations on a job well done. The one thing you have to understand about someone like Bo, who is a narcissistic, and you combine that with psychopathic personality traits, you've got somebody who the most important person in the world is that person themselves, Bo. He could have been just bragging about that. So we don't really know if Bo actually did that or not. There could be some truth to it, and it could just be bragging, given the indication or the uh, like a dominance behavior uh, that he's, he has control. He has this much control over a female that uh, he's able to do this. And I uh, thank you very much for the question. Hi, guys. This is Sarah calling from Dallas, North Carolina. Love the podcast. I think you're doing a great job. My question is about the statute of limitations. So it's been explained that the statute of limitations begins as soon as they are aware that a crime has been committed. I'm wondering if finding any evidence of that crime affects that statute of limitations. So for example, if the police receive a tip that a body has been burned or concealed in some way in the pecan orchard, and they go out and they search the pecan orchard and they don't find any evidence of that crime, But at a later date, they go back and they do find evidence of that crime. Has that statute of limitations been running from the time they received the original tip? Or does the fact that they tried to investigate and didn't find anything affect that statute of limitations? Thanks so much. Can't wait to hear the answer. Well, that's a very good question and one that I think most of us want to know the answer to. And to properly answer that question, we've got to find out a little bit more information about the tip that apparently came out early in the investigation and the search that we now know took place in that orchard in the months preceding Tara's disappearance and her murder. So the statute of limitations begins when any law enforcement officer has any knowledge that a crime was committed. It doesn't even have to be enough knowledge to support probable cause for an arrest. But there's another piece to be considered as well. The state through its agents, which are the law enforcement officers usually, they must also know the identity of the perpetrator. So it's going to depend on what information was contained in that tip. If the tip only was about Ryan, then it would 
otherwise start the statute of limitations running. But in the case of Ryan, there is no statute of limitations for murder. So there would be no issue. If they had information about the crime and if they had information about Bo Dukes being involved in that crime back in 2005, then that would be a more substantial legal hurdle for the district attorney to get over in order to prosecute Bo Dukes for anything. So there's two pieces to it. They've got to have information about the crime, not necessarily the whole story, not necessarily enough to even make an arrest, but they have to have some knowledge. And they also have to have some knowledge about who committed the crime. So those are the two key questions. And we don't right now know enough about all of the circumstances to know what the answer to that would be. But if I had to bet my last dollar, I would bet that's something that's being investigated very thoroughly right at this very moment. Hi, my name is Murray, and I'm calling from San Francisco. I am enthralled by the podcast. But I do have a question. Have the attorneys for either of the defendants reached out to you about anything ongoing? I guess it would be covered in a gag order uh, if they have. Or has anybody from the GBI reached out to you for some of the evidence that you've collected in the form of recordings or potential video evidence? Thank you very much and looking forward to the final episode. As far as Bo Dukes or Ryan Dukes attorneys, none of those guys have reached out to me. I did have a few words with an assistant to John Mobley, who is Ryan Dukes attorney, in the courtroom one day in Osceola when they were having the hearing about the gag order. On a few occasions, the GBI has reached out to me. We've talked several times over the past few months, but I'm not in a position to disclose too much information about that. This is Krista from Salt Lake City. I've been listening to this podcast all over again for a second time over the past week with my husband while we've been on road trips. And there's one question that I'm really hoping that you will address in the final episode, and that is the young man who committed suicide and left the note. Were Bo and Ryan on that list of names and the other people at the party and the people that we now know have known about this the whole time? Again, thank you for this. This is awesome. We love it. And keep up the good work. The answer is no. Were there any people at the party, bonfire, or whatever, were their names on the list? There was at least uh, a couple or possibly three that was um, at that get-together that was, uh, their names were, were on this list. So I hope that answers your question. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu.
Hey, Thane. This is Shane from Pittsburgh. Um, I was just calling with a question about the case evidence, the last one with the Twitter communication back and forth. Has the woman who spoke to him, has she gotten anybody else involved? Because that was a lot of information to just be talking back and forth without, you know, notifying police or, or that. It just seemed kind of odd to me that they talked with that much detail and she did nothing about it, but just kept talking. So any other information you can give on that, I'd really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to the finale. Thanks. That's a good question. Um, he's referring to the Twitter conversation that we had in the case evidence episode a few weeks back where I had two voice actors sort of reenact what they were saying to each other. The woman who was talking to Bo has given this information to the authorities. Hi, this is Sarah, and I've been listening from Kentucky. And my first question is about Bo. Do you think that it's at all possible throughout the years, as he has said that he has enclosed information to several people throughout the years, do you think it's possible that he did that strategically to kind of create this credibility for himself and his involvement, um, and maybe that that information that he shared is false? Um, in all reality, he did that to cover up his true, maybe more prominent role in the murder of Tara. What do you think about that? I also was wondering, is there any evidence that we know of um, that linked Ryan besides the tip from Brooke? Is there anything public that we know, anything that they found that links to Ryan? I'm dying to know about that. We keep hearing all this about Bo. Um, when I'm trying to see if there's anything about Ryan. Thank you for all your hard work. First of all, he did tell some people, but we don't know what he said. So we just don't know what how much involvement he he claimed to these people. You know, he did. And then your second question, uh, as of right now, there's no evidence that links Ryan other than a confession or the word of Bo. There's no forensic evidence that we know of that links Ryan to the crime. Now, now we don't know what the results of the DNA profile from the latex glove is at this time because of the gag order. But in reference to Bo trying to put forth a particular narrative over the years, just in case, I think that's given Bo uh, a little bit too much credit for forward thinking. As far as Bo, after about six or seven, eight years, I mean, if you could go back and ask him, he thought he got by with this. So he, he wasn't really ever thinking about he was going to get called. Hi, my name is Carolyn, and I'm calling from New York. First, I was wondering if at this point it would be possible for the charges, the murder charges against Ryan to be dropped and for Bo to be charged, like legally, if that would be possible at this point. And also, I was wondering if Bo could be legally mandated to have a psychiatric evaluation um, that could be... I guess use this evidence. Thanks very much. Bye. I'll answer the second question first. If Bo's lawyer believes there's some sufficient basis that would mandate a psychological evaluation, then Bo's lawyer can actually request that the court order a psychological evaluation. The issue would be whether or not at the time of the alleged offense, the accused was under some type of mental disability that would have affected his ability to know right from wrong at the time of the offense. The other issue would be whether or not someone is psychologically or mentally able to stand trial. Those are very two different and distinct legal issues. Personally, in my own opinion, 
I don't see a basis for a court ordering a mental evaluation of Bo Dukes as to either one of those issues at this point. As to the first question, the short answer is yes, that is absolutely legally possible, but it would have to be based on the district attorney's evaluation of what he believes to be the credible evidence in the case. If something has changed and it has changed so dramatically that the district attorney believes that they got it wrong the first time, it is absolutely legally possible for them to dismiss an indictment and to ask a grand jury to consider an indictment in another fashion. But again, we're talking about theory, not necessarily fact, and it all depends on what the actual evidence is. And you have to keep in mind We are not privy to what the district attorney knows or does not know or what is in the GBI case files. Hi, guys. This is Mary Margaret from Houston, Texas. At the end of the last episode, Dr. Godwin mentioned that the latex glove seems like a plant if Bo did, in fact, ask Ryan whether he wore the gloves before the latex glove evidence was made public in 2008. It doesn't seem that unreasonable to me that Bo would ask Ryan that in the months after the murder, if only to gauge how much evidence tied Ryan and by extension Bo to Tara's house. So I was wondering if y'all could clarify your thinking behind the latex glove being a plant and are y'all implying that Bo planted it to hopefully implicate Ryan rather than himself? Anyway, thanks so much. Can't wait for the season finale. Well, Bo did ask Ryan about that. The glove and Ryan told him that um, he didn't use any gloves. Remember, we are relying on what Bo supposedly asked. We were relying on what the answer that Bo has given us. And so, given his history, is suspect, very suspect. But in, in that segment, the knowledge about just the existence of the glove was from that day that Monday, and uh, then it got out in the news. And and I made a mistake on that. But in reference to the DNA or any evidence from that glove or that glove having any value to the case, that was revealed on 48 Hours uh, for the first time in, in 2008. So if it was a concern of Bo's, he wouldn't have known when he asked it that question before 2008, he wouldn't have known that there was any kind of forensic link to that glove because according to GBI, uh, the glove links back forensically to Tara too, including a full white male DNA profile on it. So when he asked that question, if he did, he would have known the answer. And we don't know if he did ask, actually ask him that. We don't know what the conversation was before then, between Bo and Ryan. Hi, my name is Donna, and I'm from Swansea, South Carolina. Don't you think it's strange that no one has contacted you from Ryan's family and friends? We've gotten so much information about Bo, but so little, actually none, um, about Ryan. Seems seems like somebody would come forward, either for or against. Um, love the podcast. Keep up the fight. Love it. That is a very good point. We have talked to a lot of people who knew Bo Dukes at some point, whether it be a former friend or army mate, and we sure have learned a lot about him. 
as far as Ryan Duke goes, just because you haven't heard it on the podcast yet doesn't mean that I haven't talked to anybody. I'm hoping that very soon I can elaborate on that. Thanks for listening, guys. Today's episode was mixed and mastered by Resonate Recordings. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to ResonateRecordings.com and get your first episode produced for free. This episode was recorded at Industrious Atlanta, Pont City Market. For $250 off your first month's office rent, visit IndustriousOffice.com slash vanished. And be sure to stay tuned for K7 is next Monday. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University of Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Coming March 26th on Apple Podcasts. Hey, Tenderfoot listeners, this is Eric Quintana. Are you a true crime junkie on a time crunch? Then check out my new daily podcast, This Day in Crime, where my co-hosts and I bring you up to speed on the day's top crime headlines that you may have missed during your busy day. Search This Day in Crime in your podcast app to follow the show.